0: On Racing HQ, Monday's experts studying the form of racing's characters. Yeah, g'day and welcome to Monday's experts. And if you're listening to this uh, via Sky Sports Radio around our New South Wales network, hello to you. Or if you're listening on podcast, g'day. Also, uh, it's an opportunity on Monday's experts in these segments where we get to. I guess, find out a little bit about the story behind the name. And I'm very keen to hear what uh, this gentleman has to say about his uh, life story and what's ahead of him because he has been flying of late. James Ponsonby is a trainer here in New South Wales. He trains a number of horses. He spent a lot of time in the stables of other trainers working under various names and he decided to go out on his own and he's had great success in those red and yellow colours. And he joins us now on the phone. G'day, James. Hey Dave, how you going? Very good, mate. Um, thanks for coming on the program, and and thanks for spending some time to not sort of talk about races and horses like we have in the past, but talk about yourself, mate. And I firstly wanted to know, where did you grow up, mate? Where were you born?
1: Uh, Camden, Camden in New South Wales, and yeah, so we just grew up around Manangle Park, really.
0: And what was it? What was it like for a young James Ponsonby growing up in that part of the world, mate?
1: Uh, no, that no, was pretty good. Pretty good. We were we were left alone to our own devices for most of it, and then there was um, obviously with Menangle Menangle Park. At that stage, was sort of mainly just a trotting complex, um, and uh, yeah, we started, off, you know, going around a few stables and um, got the bug for the trots, and it sort of came on from there.
0: So, mate, were you uh, obviously you, you went to school? You went to school locally.
1: Uh, yeah. My, we were.
0: Um, I went to
1: Broughton, uh, which was a private school about five k's from where
0: we lived. Yep. And, and um, when that was it. When did the When did the bug for the harness racing start? Uh,
1: I was probably,
0: um, probably just sort
1: of from day one. Really, I from. My dad had horses a little bit when I was a uh, small kid, and um, and so I, I sort of was. On it from that point on, really.
0: Yeah. So, in t- I was going to ask that. So, in terms of racing in the family, were, was there, was it was it always around, or was it just sort of here and there?
1: No, no. So, Dad had sort of stopped training by the time yep. um, I was sort of five five years old. So, um, everything we sort of got involved in in terms of racing it was sort of normally I would go to a guy called Dennis Wilson, who was a pretty pretty prolific trainer um, in the area, and um, he was sort of my main coach from day one, really.
0: What were the type of things that Dennis was teaching you early doors or that you were picking up on? Um,
1: no, he was – look, he was just a – he was a very good driver, um, like very talented driver and, and very good with, with getting money um, as a trainer driver. Uh, he worked his horses pretty, pretty hard. But, you know, his consistency overall as a trainer, um, they were probably the – he instilled in you uh, – you had to work horses – to have them fit. And and that was probably one of the best things I learned from then. Um, he was just, he was very, very competitive. Um, and as I say, he, sometimes I think his his driving uh, prowess probably got him more winners than um, his training would have. But it was just that, that combination of skill sets that he knew where to put horses in races. And, and he was just, uh, just a very good horseman all around. And uh, yeah, so he sort of he was he was the guy I wanted to most be like when I was a kid growing up, and and, and it sort of just grew, grew from there.
0: So when you were obviously coming through, you're at school. At what point did you um, jump into the harness game full time?
1: Um, I, I was still in high school actually, and, and the first horse we the first horse we got was off a off a guy who's just actually just recently passed away. He he had a standardbred stud which stood a horse called Panorama, and um, I think. Between the late 90s and, and early 2000s, I don't think there was a trainer in New South Wales and probably most of the eastern seaboard who didn't actually have a horse by Panorama. He was that, he was that good a sire. and uh, The guy's name was Dick Mitchell. And he leased me a filly, um, unbroken, and uh, we set about breaking her in and getting her going. And, and She ended up, um, when I was in year 12, she won the semi-final of the side stakes. And, and then got a lip in the, in the final due to a poor drive from the from a teenage driver. Yeah, wow. Um, <laughs> the,
0: the love of, I guess, the – I'll start with the standard bread. What did you love about the standard bread before you moved into the thoroughbred world?
1: Um, oh, look, it's, it's just – it's a very hands-on industry. You know, you, you don't – I think everyone who's, who's been within that industry, you, you don't do it unless you love the animal. Um, you know, you, we like we learnt to shoe. Uh, we learnt every part of sort of looking after them and taking care of them, and, and they they are genuinely a sweet animal to be around. I mean, um, they're great with kids, they're great with adults, they're great with people who aren't much good at their job, and and they just they provided a, a great opportunity for for me to sort of move along, um, and that was that was where my love of, of racing came from. So. Yeah, the thoroughbreds, the harness racing horses, were they're just great horses. I mean, I, I don't think people give them the credit they deserve for so the amount of improvement that the breed has had. Um, even if you go back just from sort of say two thousand, like when horses Christian Cullen were the pin up boys of our sport, um, to to now where you've got a horse in America like Bulldog Hanover who's you know smashing the clock and running miles in fifty in forty five. Um, the amount of improvement in the breed in, in that sort of twenty-five year period has just been phenomenal, and uh, they don't get the credit that they probably do deserve. But yeah, they, they're just a lovely animal, and um, you know, sometimes I miss being a part of it.
0: Yeah, do you ever think about getting back involved in the harness game? Uh, look, my my career path has sort of gone down to,
1: to thoroughbreds, and mm. I don't I don't genuinely think you can sort of do both well. Um, I think the last guy who was successful at both was was uh, Fred Kersley, and I think he was a master horseman in, in all senses of the word. So, you know, I'm not as good as Fred, that's for sure and certain. So <laughs> I think uh, unless you're as good as a guy like him, you're probably, you're probably better off to stick to one of the two, not not try and do both.
0: And you were a trainer driver, of course, in, in the harness world. And, I mean, you, you mentioned before, and, and going back and ever looking at some, you know, some of your drives, um, you are very talented in that respect.
1: Oh, look, I think I was just very lucky that i got i got put on nice horses um and and a lot of the people that i used to drive for they were not overly big stables they were just consistent i mean um yeah i I just had a lot of luck dave i wasn't that good don't i I wouldn't uh, sugarcoat it too much i was just lucky
0: come on give yourself a wrap give yourself (laughs) a wrap
1: no no it was just look. it was it was a for me as a young guy growing up it was all i wanted to do and um you know, it presented me with a few opportunities uh, to go different places, and in fact, we've um, we're just on our way back from from the Jericho yesterday, um, and one of the guys I went on on one of the junior driver tours to New Zealand with a guy called John Clark, who who was from Victoria, and um, he was the son of a of a guy who drove Gamelite, a guy called Neville Clark, and um, I met John John there. I haven't seen him for eighteen years, and yet, like um, he he was more than happy to have us there, and, and it was. Great to see guys that I haven't seen for a long time who are, you know, that's, I think that's probably one of the, the main things in harness racing. Once um, once you're within it, you know, the, the people that you meet, they're, they're generally very good people and they're, they're great great friends
0: for a long time. Very much so. We're chatting with James Ponzamy this morning on Monday's Experts. What was the pivotal moment um, that you decided to go into the thoroughbred world from, from harness racing? What, what, what spurred it on?
1: Um. Oh look, there was probably a few circumstances, and and not all of them were positive. Um, but you know, not not to dwell on them at all. Um, it was just the, the sport changed quickly in, in a very short period of time, and I think that was probably the, the key key to me making a, a transition. And, and and just being Johnny on the spot, um, an opportunity turned up to go and work for Mark Noonan, um, who I sort of I knew. I knew uh, as a friend of the family to a degree um, when he was a jockey, and um, that was probably the pivotal moment because um, I, I knew that I was going to go and work work for a person who who sort of stood for integrity, had a good name in the industry, was obviously a guy at that stage. I mean, he'd only had his own license for, I think, for three seasons or oh, two and a half seasons at that stage and um, was making a real fist of it. So. It was a it was an exciting opportunity um, to to branch out into a different code uh, and and you know thoroughbred uh, in thoroughbred racing as a whole uh, is really sort of going gangbusters you know even more so now it just seems that every time we look there's a new race and it's worth a million or more dollars so that was that was probably the main thing working for Mark and and also having um, three kids so. We just needed to, to try something else and, and see if we could enjoy it as much.
0: And obviously, mate, um, looking at the results and looking at the success you've had and the fun, it'd be one of the best decisions you've ever made.
1: Yeah, oh, for sure, for sure. Like, it, it, it um, you don't realise how lucky you are in that sport uh, to to get involved. And, you know, we, haven't, we certainly haven't uh, broken any records or anything like that, but the amount of enjoyment we've received out of, you know, it's the racing industry as a whole uh, in, in New South Wales is terrific. You know, they there's just so much opportunity now for young people, especially to, you know, not you don't just have to be a jockey to be a success. Um, the opportunities for training now, and, and you know, I, I've been extremely lucky in, in regard to uh, English Digital was was sort of a not an unknown market at that stage, but it was, certainly wasn't as well well-received um, prior to COVID and yet we were kicking off when COVID was sort of just getting um, just getting really quite big and um, the opportunity to buy and trade horses and, and sort of, you know, they weren't overly expensive but there was lots of opportunity for us to get involved and and with that we were able to buy some handy horses that have turned out really successful for us.
0: Tell us about the property you've got out there at uh, the Oaks, mate.
1: Yeah, it's uh, look, it, it's a real... It's much more of a farm, um, sort of an outlook. Uh, I I worked at Warwick Farm, obviously, for Mark. Um, and it, it's a very, you know, a lot of um, horses seem to do very well that come from more size, sort of city-side stables because Warwick Farm's a lot more open. It's got a few... Different training areas, which aren't necessarily um, track-based, and it's a lot more of a relaxed environment. But then I I thought I could see that there was a lot of value um, getting those sort of some of those horses, especially off off out of the mainstream uh, thoroughbred sort of sites, and and the place that we've sort of uh, built has sort of been based basically on having a good gallop. Um, but the rest of it, having it more of a, of a sort of a country retreat for the animal rather than what they would be more used to in terms of, of just that stock standard um, trot can or two laps and uh, maybe in the pool later in the day and then back in your box. So mm. it, it, you know, our, our horses, are, I, I find. I mean, I, I've been very lucky in terms of getting um, so far anyway horses that have been, you know, a little bit probably cooked and, and getting them to relax and stay a little bit. Like, I, I really love getting horses that can pick up over sort of seven furlongs and beyond. And, um, and you know, we, we've sort of getting results. And I think it's probably more so a direct result of having those horses out and having them just relax a lot better because then it makes their job of, of training and racing a, a lot easier for me.
0: And you, um, and you, James, you do a lot of your track work still?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, look, I wouldn't do it, Dave, if I, if I couldn't get on them. Um, it, it, to me, you know, uh, it's not about ego of being able to ride them or tell you that, that they're going good or anything like that. I, I just, I love I love being on them um, and I, I love just getting horses to just try and do a better, better job on themselves, you know. It, I, I found uh, one of the, the real turning points for me um, in terms of, like, my, my thoughts on training were uh, when they shut the, the pro ride at Warwick Farm, um, Mark had been extremely successful on on, on training there. But uh, when they shut the pro ride uh, to, to redo it, I think it was back in 2020. Uh, it might have been, sorry, just, just before 2020, the end of 2019. Um, we couldn't get a horse's... We weren't able to gallop them any faster than three-quarter speed. So they were all, they were all working off the sand. Um, they couldn't go any faster than three-quarter and, and they were going, you know, five or six furlongs. Well, the first, the first week after they shut the track, um, the Warwick Farm stable of Mark's turned out a, a treble at Hawkesbury. And, you know, Mark already had them fit, but it just showed that um, they didn't necessarily need to be zipped up every second day or things like that to, to get the result. And, um, you know, as much as I think it was just a credit to Mark and, and the way he trained, um, it gave me a real inkling into the fact that I that there could be more ways to explore keeping a horse sound and fit and healthy rather than just the, the, the usual, you know, every second day, strong work and um, off to the races. So that was that was pretty much what we based our whole business off was was just having those horses that little bit fresher and a little bit happier. Um, and, and as I say, we've been very lucky so far.
0: James Ponzamy is my guest this morning on Monday's Experts. Um, James... Uh... You've obviously, you mentioned it before, the English digital sale. I mean, this has been something that you guys, as a, a business, have been looking at. I mean, what are you looking for, without giving away your, your trade secrets, but what are you looking for when you, you, you see these horses?
1: Uh, look, I, I'm not I, – I, I appreciate by the stage that I'm buying them. I'm buying a second-hand car that's either got a dodgy wheel or, or a, you know, a steering problem. So I, I'm always very keen on horses that are good types and, um, and horses that are well bred, that but just for what for one reason or another haven't sort of fitted the mould of, of where they've been. You know, um, it's it's a lot easier. Like people will always look back when a horse is going well and say, oh, of course that horse is good. You know, look at the family it's out of. Um, and, and most horses, like the better bred ones, they're invariably better anyway. So I, I'm always looking for sort of horses that are either maidens or class ones. Um, sometimes I'm looking in certain, like I'll look in the Melbourne jurisdiction because. If a horse wins a, a you know, a, a technically a provincial maiden down there, um, they get handicapped extremely firmly very quickly, and, and it's a it's a tough it's a tough thing to win your maiden and then hit to a bench, benchmark 64 where you could be racing horses that have won you know anything from two to six races, uh, and you're taking a horse there that might have gone well in a maiden and won uh, first or second time out. It just makes it very difficult for them to to get used to that that next sort of lineup where they're racing horses that have had a lot more experience and a lot harder, uh, preparation to get them into that sort of a groove. So sometimes, um, horses that are staying over a little bit further, they're always that bit cheaper. I always find, and they're the kind of horses that I'm sort of looking for anything that'll fit the New South Wales system. I mean, obviously the system as a general rule, uh, anything that runs over a mile or further, and it's a class one, you can go back to class one set weights maidens, whether it's a provincial or a, a country race, and you're basically getting two bites at the maiden cherry. So they're the horses that I sort of start with. And then uh, when, we're, when we're doing well, um, I'll be looking for horses that are by good size, that, that people I know have had good success with, that, that may not be necessarily uh, well-renowned size, um, and, and that's sort of, that was actually how Phillipsburg came about. You know, uh, Mark had Lanciato, who was by Per and Canto. And um, when I saw the picture of Philip, you know, it was almost a dead spit for the same horse. And he was a maiden and he... He'd showed good potential, obviously, in New Zealand. He was a, he was a well-priced yearling, um, and he just sort of slipped through the cracks, I think. So they, they're the kinds of horses we're looking for.
0: Yeah. James, uh, what about, uh, you know, your support for the stable? Obviously, you, you had a bit of a groundswell in terms of, you know, you had um, you know various customers and supporters here and there, but getting new owners in is something that um, has been quite achievable.
1: Yeah, look, it, it's, it's amazing. Uh, obviously, success breeds success, but... Um, I found that when I kicked off, um, a lot of the owners that we got then um, we've retained, and they've been they've been just very good people to having in your business, uh, and, and it obviously it makes it easier when the horses are running well that they own. But um, I think probably the reason they're still with me is because they don't they don't put a lot of pressure on, and uh, we we try and own. We we like to own fifty percent of the horse. If we can Dave, it it's just it's simply economical for us to, to do that. And you know, if, if a horse is successful and I'm got I've got skin in the game, um, you know, it's good for me and my family and it's also good for you as an owner because you know that if I say we should get rid of it, um, I'm not gonna cut my nose off to spite my face. Or I try not to anyway, and uh, and and I'm probably doing you a favour by, by doing by getting rid of it. But If we've got to be a little bit patient, Um, you know, a horse like Socrates, who has been a little bit of a pin-up horse for us of late, uh, his first preparation for us was was diabolical. You know, it was really, really average. And and at one stage there, we were tossing up whether we should flick him back online and and move him on to someone else. But uh, we turned him out for eight weeks and and he came back just sort of a a much more rejuvenated horse. And and we've been able to luckily... Reap the benefits of, of the country highway system because of it, uh, and then he sort of he's begun to frank that for me. He, he was third last weekend in the Taree Cup um, against Handy Six Saturday Hall um, and, and you sort of go, well, oh, that's it gives us a good a good sort of sounding block board for next preparation. Where you go, well, he's probably going to be good enough for a seventy eight at some stage. So, yeah, it's just having the right owners who who can appreciate that uh, patience is is. Is a virtue, and it's probably the key virtue to, to being successful in this industry.
0: Mm. James, uh, what about um, your family? Obviously, also, mate, uh, you've got uh, some young ones, mate. Are they? Can you see them getting the bug for it?
1: Yeah, look, Dave, my my oldest son Henry, he's um, um, he, he rides he rides a lot of our slow work, and uh, he's he's ten, turning eleven next year, and um, he he just he's he's a really smart boy, um, and he's got. You know, great attitude uh, as a son. I'm more proud of him as my son than I, than I am for anything else he does. But he's um, at this stage going the right way to be to be a better version of his of his mum and dad, and uh, that's all we can ask for at the moment. But he's real keen interest in the in the racing side of of what we do. Um, he loves doing form. He loves he loves the breeding side of, of sort of knowing what what horses and what size have, have been doing the job lately. But um, you know, he, it's just, for me personally, I'm probably uh, more lucky as, as a dad that, that my kids want to be around and hang out with us, and, and obviously we took them to the Jericho Carnival, you know, so they they got to spend a lot more time with me than, than most guys who train racehorses, you know, because the owls don't necessarily agree with family life, but um, we're, we're just very lucky that the kids sort of, the way they're going, that they enjoy it at the moment, and hopefully it continues for a long while.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, well said. What about um, for the future in terms of uh, new horses? Are you always on the hunt? You, have you got any sort of uh, plans to uh, attack any sales coming up soon? Or just basically just wait and see what happens with each of these catalogues?
1: Oh, no, look, I, I think um, I think the yearling sale market is not a market for me um, just yet because it's it's an expensive game. And obviously, you know, that's where your champion will come from and, and that sort of, scenario. But um, uh, for me personally, I, I just love racing. I, I love having 15, 20 horses in training and having, you know, 15 horses going to the races in the months. Um, you, you've got you to have a passion for the sport, I think. And we, we just love the racing side. I mean, we love getting to carnivals. And, you know, as, as, as our stock improves over time, um, hopefully we're ending up in better and better carnivals to, to be at. But at at the moment, um, I think we've we've sort of built to a to a standard where we've probably got three or four horses that are good enough to be in town on a Saturday, and and I think most most trainers um, would be would be more than happy to have that sort of a of a system, um, the highway system that Racing New South Wales put in place a few years ago now. But we, we've been so so very fortunate um, to be able to utilize it, and and the the enjoyment your owners get you know no one ever no one ever questions when you say you won on a saturday um as an owner no one ever says you know I was it the highway or the midway they they they're just wrapped for you that you won on in town on a saturday and i've never seen anyone say that it was a weaker thrill winning a highway or a midway in comparison to winning a a usual benchmark 78. um so that's that's where we sort of see our, our business model staying for the moment if if a nice horse comes through the system um that sort of failed somewhere else then we're more than happy to try and get him up and going or her up and going and doing a little bit better job but yeah at the moment just getting our horses to to Saturday racing is the key I think and um obviously the prize money's terrific and it's a it's there's no better there's no better thrill than winning in town on a Saturday no matter who you are um and you know if you add group stuff to a race well that's great but yeah, Just to thrill of Saturday racing is what we're, we're happy to achieve. Uh, aim at at the moment.
0: That's brilliant. James, it's been a pleasure to talk to you, mate, um, and I'm excited to see what the future unfolds for you. It's great that uh, we can hear a little bit more about you than just coming on and talking about the horses and whether they can win or not, and good luck for the future. Great. Thanks for your time, Dave. James Ponzamy, our Monday's experts.